Tony Speaks, and this is my lovely wife, Kim. We are the founders and co-creators of the lifestyle brand and podcast, Becoming Disciplined. Every week we meet, learn from, and share best practices with highly disciplined men and women from a variety of fields and endeavors. Follow us on our journey. Lisa Woodruff is the purpose strategist. She has served as a marketing and proposal guru, a global ethics advisor, and now a leadership strategist. Lisa has been uncovering purpose with each step of her journey. Lisa is delivering talent solutions for professionals and organizations while challenging traditional career narratives and outdated processes. But for this moment in time, Lisa Woodruff is Becoming Disciplined. Today on Becoming Disciplined, we interview the purpose strategist, Miss Lisa. How are you doing today, Miss Lisa? I'm wonderful and blessed. How are you? Oh, wonderful, wonderful, wonderful. Now, before we get you started and before we go and introduce you to our audience, we always believe in starting off with context. Context is king or in this case, queen. I think it's good for my audience to be aware of your origin story. Can you tell us where you were raised, Miss Lisa, and tell us about your family and tell us about where you grew up? Absolutely. I was born just outside of Bowling Green, Virginia, within Caroline County. Um, I I grew up there, uh, and my my really most of all of my family is still there. My mom has a local flower shop that's in town. Um, my dad, um, my dad retired from the government over at Dahlgren. Um, I tell you all those little details because <laughs> there's so much about it that I that I embrace from them that that I that I have learned and picked up along the way. Um, my brother, he's in Tappahannock now, but lived on the family farm. Um, both of both sides of my family had farm origins in Caroline County. So uh, that was really significant because I was the first to go to college, uh, really, in my family. Oh, wow. That's big. Uh, is there anyone in your childhood that, that inspired your level of discipline? Mm. Oh, gosh. There, were, there, there, definitely, there definitely were several. But I would have to say that uh, for many that, that knew me in the community and knew me growing up, I had a love and a passion for music and especially in the church. So I, I must really accredit those music teachers that really taught me the technique and timing and performance and really that stage presence and um, how, how to be how to be on when you need to be and yet how to really embrace the emotion and the feeling and the message and the story that you're trying to convey. So there definitely was Denise Wilkinson. <laughs> there um, there were, were several of Dr. William Blake. Uh, he was the minister at Antioch Christian Church, where my membership my membership membership still um is is placed at today uh, well, a little teeny tiny church on Main Street in Bowling Green. And he actually, Dr. Blake, was the professor of theology and history at VCU. And he was really the dean there for a period of time. And I don't think I've ever had such lessons of discipline to see him walk through not only giving the message, you know, but really 
What's the commentary around the message, the time, the place, the people, and how to really bring to life and relational content to people. Uh, he was he was such a mark on my life to this mm. day. Wow, that's amazing. I thought I knew all of the churches on Main Street, and I've missed that one. So, oh, okay, okay, all right. Well, I, I, I'm, you're going to make me jump in the car and drive <laughs> on down to Main Street. What uh, instruments did you play, and and, uh, and and what were your particular uh, musical gifts? Absolutely. I started lessons at four years old with Mrs. Fortune in her basement. And she was, she was a discipline guru. I, she had this little piece of plastic. And if you missed a note, she would tap your fingers. But she <laughs> had this incredible way to make sure that you were getting the parts of music that you needed to be foundational. And uh, so I started very early as a child and we had to memorize everything that we did in our annual recital. But we also had theory lessons as part of our music lessons. And we had these different theory tests that we had to do, you know, before the recital each year. And she gave awards out for people who were accomplished or developed or, you know, who, who, who were really excelling in that area of music. So I would say I started initially in a very classical training. By the age of 12 or 13, um, her health was really declining, Miss Fortune was, and so I went to Miss Gravit, and she really embraced this emotional piece in the church that I was really ready for, and how to convey that, and how to how to really grasp grasp those stories. And what I'll tell you there is that I was a part of I think two or three different choirs from middle school to high school throughout throughout Bowling Green and Caroline County, Ladies in the Baptist, you know, Bowling Green Baptist and uh, Calvary Baptist. So I know I'm going with some Caroline County vernacular there and in all the places, but I would go to Wednesday night service, Thursday night, Sunday. I would do, if there were funerals, if there were different things that people would ask me to sing for. I, I even remember two summers volunteering at the nursing home in Bowling Green in music to share that gift with with people who needed that. And so um, my journey, my journey in that, it evolved and changed. By the time I went to college at Campbell University, which was a Baptist college and, and is in North Carolina, I, I was so sure my path was going to be in music. And so yet again, back into the classical, but then I got to learn about jazz and those harmonies. And I really had picked up the, the vocal piece more specifically. So my minor is actually twofold. It's in vocal performance and uh, piano performance. Mm. That is so good. That is so good. Now, uh, just so we can give them, uh, give our ancestors and our local leaders their due, can you, uh, can, the name of, of which, mis which misfortunes, because there's a lot of fortunes in, in Carolina County. What was, do you remember her name, her first name? I do not because we would never call her by her first name. <laughs> um, but for anyone that watches this, um, there were only about three piano teachers at the time. You know, I'm going to say in the in the late 80s, 90s coming through, there were only about three teachers. Um, so if, if you worked under Miss Fortune, you knew who Miss Fortune was. And okay. She was a beautiful, talented woman. And, and I, like I said, her theory just 
I was ready for so much because of that discipline and that foundation. That is awesome. That is awesome. And then Miss Gravit, do you remember her first name? Sherry was her first name. Sherry. Okay. You were a little mm -hmm. older then. I was a little older then. I was about that 12, 13 age. Okay. Um, absolutely. She moved away um, about the time that I graduated high school, I believe. So uh, she left the area for a little bit. Okay. Well, both names are really big in our county. So Yes, they are. Both, both <laughs> names are, are very substantial in our county. Now, uh, since we're time traveling, let's time travel one more time. And let's time travel to you at age 15. Uh, if you could whisper in that little girl's ear at age 15 years old, what would you tell her? Oh, my stars. <laughs> um, carry the confidence. I think in the in the path as you get older, there there are, there are people who don't maliciously, but sometimes unintentionally, you know, tend to beat up your path. Whether that's career or that's in life, or you know, you you start to have those what we what we look at, and sometimes what we title as mistakes. I, I believe it's all very intended um, for that for that learning piece. But I I would have to say keep keep the confidence and stay close to the faith particularly that um, I was brought in the church with. I think I was six weeks old and my mother and my father immediately had me into church. And I know that as I went through my 20s, I didn't stay as committed. I didn't stay as, even, even in my 30s, I didn't stay as committed to, you know, my faith that I think would have really, really been a different source throughout to, to deal with those life priorities as they come in. So I would tell myself to keep the faith as I had it in, in a very pure form and in my young self and, and carry the confidence and not care as much about what other people have to have to say along the way. Sure. sure. Now, what uh, what year did you go to Campbell? So I graduated Caroline in 1997 and I went to Campbell University from 97, I believe, to the end of 99. And then I transferred to George Mason University. And that was where I switched my major. <laughs> OK. All right. Now, what did you switch your major to? I switched it to history. OK. All right. All right. Now, um, after you left Mason. Well, let's talk about the let's talk about the college years. Uh <laughs> What, what uh, you know, like some people, when, especially when they come from a lot of, uh, like, you know, from a tough religious background, sometimes they hit the colleges and they, it's like time to party, you know. Uh, so so what was what is your college story? Like, sum up your college experience for us. My college experience, the, the friends that I made at Campbell University, I have to share with you, are either I'm still in contact with, or for example, the very first person that I ever met, my Miss Kenya Davis Hayes. And I do that because she was the first person I met and we are still to this day, very, very close. I will say to you that the people early then are, are still, are still in my path. And I will say to you that I was really in college on the straight and narrow. I care even now about reading and writing. Academics are really important to me. I tend to flourish in the details. That's just my personality. And I am a diehard researcher. And when people tell me no, or when people tell me that something's a fact, I 
it's important for me to utilize that skill set to really find out, is that really true? Is that really the case? Is, is that just being said to be said? And so that history piece really pulled out that that organization. Um, be, be smarter than just what people tell you to think or tell you what to believe. And that was something, especially when I was going through Mason, I had scholars as a history major in the Washington DC area. I had professors from the Pentagon, from the FBI, from the different security agencies. I mean, it was a pretty, pretty astounding academic list. I'll say that I had as professors and it really had this standard that, you know, to be in the presence of people who were writing, you know, in the audiences that they were writing in, and you know, in their information and in their study, um, I really had to step up and be and pay attention and make the best of that time. I would I would say that through college I was very studious. Ooh, that's great. That's great. Now I'm hearing two different passions here. I'm hearing a musical passion, mm-hmm. and I'm hearing a, a passion for history and research. How did God use those two passions to shape your purpose? Absolutely. I first of all believe that purpose is a journey. It is not a destination. It is not an end goal. And I and I believe as we get these experiences and we learn more, we shape into new pieces and parts of us and that, that just grow and expand. And music taught me to embrace the story and to be very foundational about um about the theory, about 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 the stuff, about the intellect, about the mechanics of things. And history taught me how to go find those things out. Where do I go to look for those things? And then in that history, you know, an extension of that is I got the piece to write. And I love to write. Which is it pairs really well, I think, with music, right? Because it is about expressing that story outward. So I feel like they both really went well together, even when the picture in history isn't what, you know, even, you know, it's not pretty. It's not, it's not in the place where we sometimes try to, you know, make the ideology of it to be or, you know, the perfection of it. And that, and for me, that's okay, but there's still a beautiful story, you know, to learn in that. And, and I, and I really believe that we can bridge more. And people in general, you know, if we have that ability to take the story that is the real story and and be able to connect it to people. And music does that. It does that from an emotional sense. It does it from a connection piece. And and you can really unite a lot of things um, through that path. So they both are really, I'd say, really in the heart of where I started very young to even where I am now with what I do. Sure, sure. Now, um, did you go straight from Mason into government work or did there was there any pause pause breaks there? There was no pause. So when I graduated from George Mason, I believe it was a month later, I was in the work world. And I went to work directly in DC um, the year of 9-11. The oh, year wow. of 9-11, yes. I was two blo- working two blocks downtown from the White House mm. and uh, 14th and I. And uh, and I went to work, yes, yes, in government, uh, but not entirely. So I have worked with engineers from the career perspective, really from the start. And I uh, started out with a global architectural engineering firm there. 
and I started out just as an administrative assistant. And there was a young professional, we came in the exact same week, and she was delivering a proposal and she missed her deadline. And I was sitting at the front desk covering the reception for just an hour that afternoon for an appointment she had. And the VP had come into town from New York and had walked her to the elevator with her box of things. And he looked at me after she starts going down the elevator and he said, you know, you seemed pretty smart when I interview. Do you think you could get a proposal in on time? Do you think you could tell the story of what we do here? And I looked at him with probably way more confidence than I should have had. (laughs) And I said, I can absolutely do that. So in a couple of months, I went from the administrative assistant to the marketing and proposal coordinator for the entire DC location for that particular company. Wow. Wow. That's huge. I've never heard that happen so quickly before. That's I, I have to tell you, uh, that gentleman to this day, I still remember his name is VP. And he made his mark on me because he could be very, I will use the word eccentric like that. He made decisions really very quickly. And he did it with, I will say, a lot of first impressions or really his connection, I feel like, to the people and what he thought their capability was. I wasn't the only instance of that. I saw that happen um, throughout throughout that location specifically, which was small compared to New York and New Jersey and different parts of the 160 locations in the world. But um, I saw him lead that way. And I have no idea why he looked at me and he said that or would think that, but it was an opportunity. And in my mind, I thought what I don't know, I will learn and I will be successful and I'll make it happen. Sure, sure. Now, let's time travel one more time. Let's time travel to your first year working in corporate America. What advice would you whisper to that young lady? Oh, my stars. I would definitely say learn to filter out the noise. I would say don't accept no. Don't accept it. Just Mm -hmm. don't blindly accept no. Um, And the third other piece that I have is don't expect someone to create that path for you or to give you a path. You've got to be proactive in carving out your space. And it's okay if you're still figuring it out. Go try different things in that same organization. Be, be adventurous with it. Look at people and say, no, I don't exactly know how to do that, but I've been successful at this over here. I'm pretty sure I could implement you know, that particular skill in this place. That's good. That's good. Now, um, how long did you stay in marketing after that? Oh, my. So 9-11 happened. And in D.C., in architectural engineering, that whole industry, things shut down a lot. So it was about maybe nine or ten months later, I was recruited by there was a layoff in that particular office. And one of the senior directors that I worked with said he liked my work, but he was going to work in Georgetown with a smaller architectural firm. And they were really growing and they hadn't had a marketing role there. And would I be interested in going to that company to create that role and to essentially bring proposals from the complete startup because there was nothing there. And so I went there for a couple of years and I did that. So let's chart the path here. 
uh, did you stay in marketing after that, or did you did you eventually get out of marketing? Or? You know, I'm not sure I've ever been out of marketing. <laughs> <laughs> I think I think I think what we all do to some point is marketing. But what I'll say to you is that when I left that role, because I mean I was doing young professional in DC, corporate America, lots of lessons learned, right? Just so much to learn. And I left that I left that role to come back to Caroline County to go into business with my mom. And I just, I guess you could say I've always had a bit of that entrepreneurial. I I didn't fear starting something. I didn't fear there being success because I'm just really driven personally to believe that if I work hard enough, if I learn it, if I am willing to listen, um, if I'm willing to find a good mentor to 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 really embrace those steps with me, that you really have a path charted. And it, it, I didn't have the fear. And so I for seven years after that, I had a restaurant and a catering business uh, with my mom. Now. What I will tell you is that I developed a lot of government connections in that time frame, and I learned how to do a lot of government proposals. So as it related to some of those DOD agencies and government agencies and Dahlgren being next door there in Port Royal, I learned how to do proposals to get work for those steady jobs within that particular industry to really drive the, drive the income that I had there. Sure, sure. Now, uh, let's shift gears just a little bit. Um, they, there is one of the big decisions of life that helps people, whether they are successful or not successful, miserable or happy. And one of the big decisions in life is making a good choice on who you marry. And, uh, I, and, and I, and I've always, you know, seen you and, and seen you online and everything. And, uh, my question is, how did you know you're you're a married person? I believe, <laughs> and how did you know uh, you were marrying the right person? And what advice do you give to young ladies who are about to make that decision? How do you know it's the right person? Right, absolutely. And this is where I'm going to give you Tony that transparency. I was married once, and it didn't work. My first marriage did not work. I married very young, and we were on different paths. You know. Um, and so we divorced before we had any children. And I met my husband and married. I think I was 30 when I met my husband. I met him. I met him. I was so I was in Caroline County, had the restaurant and the catering business. And I was meeting a friend for dinner. And she had a friend that was also coming to meet in that same place. And so sort of in the wait up or the meet up time of things, that's where I met my husband because he wasn't originally from the Caroline Fredericksburg, that particular like little part of the world. Um, and I will certainly tell you that marriage feels like it's the hardest thing that I've ever done. And I think that, you know, outside outside of our faith, right, our commitment to God, because that, <laughs> that, take, that takes the work and every single day, you know, am I saying it right? Am I getting it right? You know, am I trying hard enough? And, and you know, all the things, you're a minister, you get that. Sure. But marriage is just the hardest thing because when you love someone enough to stay committed through the bumps and the changes, and we were told that my daughter wasn't going to be possible. And then three months later, 
I learned that my daughter, my daughter was very much so going to be possible. That's awesome. That is awesome. <laughs> and, and the shift that we had in life for that. And then, okay, then in that decade of raising her, we, um, you know, we were getting in a place where we didn't want any more children. You know, we were on our career paths and, and our goals for things that we wanted for that, that next, that next season that we kept, we kept calling it the next season. And, and then they told me that my son at almost 40 years old would be, you know, coming into the world. So I feel like we have seen, we've seen really, really highs. And as most marriages, we've had our moments, but we've just, we've just remained committed to each other and um we've learned how to communicate differently our communication has had to had to had to evolve and and had to really grow and sometimes those planes feel like they're on the same steps and sometimes they're not so sometimes you're carrying someone more than the other um and I don't say that in a bad way because, you know, when we found out about my son and his heart defect, defect I mean, my, I feel like my husband probably carried me for a very long time. Um, but I, I do, I do say that marriage is is beautiful and wonderful, but it is one of the hardest things I think that that you can do in life. Mm. Now let's stay on the family for just a moment here. Let's let's time travel again. Uh, you get the opportunity. Uh, you get the opportunity to walk into that delivery room and you've time traveled to the moment where your daughter is placed on your chest after uh, you have given birth to her and you have the opportunity to whisper something to, to, to Lisa right after the baby has come. What advice do you give her on being a mom? God says you are enough. God says you are enough. I think that with... All of the social media, I think that that with with television, I think I think there's this glam spin that's put on things where it looks really pretty. It just looks over here like this mom has it together or, you know, they seem to have this well of finances that's just never ending. Or I, and I think that it's so impressionable. And in different generations, I think that's digested differently, you know, whether it's your teens, your 20s, your 30s, your 40s. Um, but, but seeking perfection is such a, it's such a fail and it's a waste of time and energy. And I just want her to know that, that God says she's enough, just, just as who she is. That's right. That's right. Now let's time travel one more time because you're giving a loads of advice to, matter of fact, you're the second couple I've known where their child had a heart defect. The, the other child actually had to have a heart transplant. Um, let's time travel one more time. Um, you are you are time traveling to the parking lot, the hospital parking lot where you have just been given that news and you're leaving and you're in the hospital parking lot. And, you know, you and your husband or maybe you and you by yourself are trying to gather yourself after you've heard that news. Uh, what advice do you tell her to that young lady? To have faith. To have faith. You know, faith is the thing that it's not tangible to touch. Sure. But God ultimately, at the end of the day, has the say. And we don't get to write that agenda. And sometimes in the medical profession, 
through the heart moms that I've known. And, and there are several that I know now. And my experience is different from many of what some of theirs were. And, you know, in making the decision actually to, you know, they come to you and they say, are you, are you keeping this baby? And, um, and I have to say that if, if there's a mom out there, I would say have faith. The technology has evolved. Um, the, the surgeons just have an ordained gift from God to do what they do. It is just so advanced. And, and I would say just, just have faith. Sure. Don't give up and learn more about what's going on. Because sometimes what one hospital will tell you is not what another hospital that specializes in that particular defect might have in progress. And so sometimes it just means, again, that research, that due diligence and going and learning more and figuring out, you know, maybe there's another person that you can talk to to shed a different sort of light. And that's the advice mm -hmm. that I have absolutely is, is to have faith. Not, not to give up on it. We have uh, something in common where we have both started businesses in Caroline County. And uh, I will say this, that Caroline County is a little bit of an abstraction because there are things that are true outside of Caroline County that are not true in Caroline County. There's things that are true in Caroline <laughs> County that are not true. It's like it's its own, its own little uh, universe, not even for bad or for good. It's just a different, it's a very different place. Uh, so anyone who's listening here who you, you're tired of globalization and all the cities that you visit being identical, come to Caroline County and you will, you will, <laughs> you will, you will meet the abstraction. So, uh, Absolutely. <laughs> so we have, you know, I would probably say 40% or 50% of our listeners are from Caroline for now. Uh, and my question to you is, uh, what advice do you give someone starting a business in Caroline County? Uh, if if we could time travel again, I don't mean to overdo that analogy, but uh, if we could time travel again, what would you do differently about your business and, you know, how you market your business, how things, decisions you made? What, what would you do differently if you had to start that? I know there's a million things I would do differently um, if I had to start my business all over again. What would you do differently? I would probably use the, ter use the term millions, like definitely in the plural. <laughs> I, I went in it. At 20, 22, 23 years old, I think. I mean, was really young, and we bought the building, right? And I, I invested deeply into my location. I invested deeply into the um, resources that I used, my kitchen equipment, and those type of things. Um, we didn't have social media like we do now like to advertise on Facebook or um, that sort of thing was, was not even a thing back then. It, it, I think my space was still living and breathing them. I'm dating myself for sure. Aren't I? <laughs> <laughs> so marketing was, marketing was very different. Um, you reached people, but as I sat in Port Royal, Virginia, you know, on a very, very busy corridor, one of the biggest challenges that I had sometimes was pulling locals to be regulars. Mm -hmm. I would have a lot of people on the path and in the journey, but you know, my local market, man, I really struggled with that. And, and I had something unique there because we did seafood and we did steaks. We weren't just, um, 
hey, just to grab the burger kind of place. We had cloths to the floor and our servers were in tuxedo shirts. You know, it was a different type of a restaurant that was especially into Caroline County at that time. And so I think I would have leaned in very differently to people who are already in that space because I can say that I really didn't have a lot of a lot, not only of that competition, but I just didn't have that market to lean into in my immediate space. Um, I would say starting a business in Caroline County, you know, when I look at Bowling Green now, what's going on Main Street, there are beautiful things that are happening there. And I think that it's really going to be, um, as we see in the next few years, I, I think there's a lot of awesome. I think I think Bowling Green's going to be really sought out. From what I see from Ladysmith, that's also really grown, but I've seen it grown from more of the commercial places have sort of, you know, come to that area because bigger communities, right, have come to that location. And then I would tell someone is, depending on what you're doing in Caroline County as a business, because brick and mortar, what we've learned from COVID though, right? It, it isn't as much of a thing anymore. So if you're starting a business in, in Caroline County, really evaluate if that brick and mortar is necessary. And I would say if, if, if it's not, then really look at your business plan and your marketing strategy to determine from market research, what maybe are the next best steps to do um, in moving forward? Because it can be a little bit tricky. Sure, sure. Now, um, <clears throat> what disciplines do you recommend for people who are getting started in the marketing uh, profession? What, what disciplines, like what daily disciplines, what quarterly disciplines, what, what should they build into the fabric of their character or their schedule? So what habits do you think they should develop in order to be a good marketer? I think mindset. I think that we have to start with us. I think mm -hmm. that what we're willing to say out loud to people and to ourselves is it may feel like it's moving in your mind, but it that's the first place you have to start. Next thing is write it down. We tend to achieve goals that we write down. Mm -hmm. And I think that sometimes when we, because I, because I definitely am diehard to my planner, <laughs> my calendar is where it's at, <laughs> and I do a, I do a quarterly set of goals that break down into monthly goal, well yearly, quarterly, monthly, and then I have like a, a tasking pad that I use to break those, break those specific goals or those specific projects down more specifically. But we often tend to make goals that are really, really, really big, right? And they are almost too vague. And we have to get really specific about our intention. So what I tell people is that you can eat the elephant, but only one bite at a time. Mm -hmm. So it's understandable that you want to accomplish things big and quickly, but to be realistic and set things that are attainable where you see your successes and then celebrate them. I mean, truly celebrate them. When I got my first client, I had been working with a business strategist at the time out of Northern Virginia. And I will credit her to telling me, she said, write it down. Write the date down that this happened and write how it made you feel. How did you feel having your first customer? Mm -hmm. And 
on a day where you get 10 no's or five no's or what, you know, a no to a really big proposal you cut out for your work in the business spectrum. She said, go back and read that and remember that. That will help you to remember what that felt like. And you'll want that feeling again. But, you know, sometimes we work really, really hard to get to that goal. And we think when we're done with that goal, we're just going to have that, you know, that really big. And then you sometimes feel like it's a little underwhelming. Um, so celebrate in the process. And I feel like when you're when you're measuring yourself, because I measure myself on a weekly, a monthly, a quarterly basis, I can celebrate along the way. Hey, I got two things done today. I got got three things done for that big pro- project this week, you know. Or I scheduled myself for two and I got three accomplished. And I think that that really helps to. I think that really helps to keep driving you to what you know you should be doing. Mm, that's good. That's good. Everyone that I've invited on the show, and you know, it's kind of important for people to know. No one is disciplined at everything, you know. That we we all have holes in our discipline. Um, so there's everyone that I invite on, they're not disciplined at everything, but there's always something that, that I was like, oh, wow, this person is so disciplined at this particular area. And you, as the purpose strategist, uh, you, uh, really impressed me with your clarity of thought. And, uh, you know, as a, as, you know, mental discipline is a, is a discipline and your clarity of thought and your clear way of thinking through things, um, it, it really kind of uh, blew my hair back, as y'all can see. And uh, so, <laughs> and, and you've done a really good job of letting us know how you became such a clear thinker and how you became good at strategy. You know, you, you, you've laid that out. Um, I guess what, what can we, what we can garnish where is an area or a time where you weren't a clear thinker uh, and where it all became it all became fuzzy and where you where you felt like you lost your purpose so and and i guess the purpose here's my purpose for asking that is you've done a great job letting us know how you became the purpose strategist but then i think we can glean from someone as sharp as yourself um how how can you get off track and how can things get murky even for someone as sharp as the purpose strategies? It completely, absolutely unraveled. <laughs> <laughs> so um, you 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 hear me talk about the proposals, the marketing, that path, going into business, um, going back into corporate America. And when I came back into it, um, for a really big tech company. I was with them for over 10 years. Now, I've been there about five or six years. I hadn't had a promotion. I hadn't really had a raise significant enough that, you know, was viable to what I was doing. And I went from someone that was giving an opportunity without a laundry list of experience Mm -hmm. to running my own business, right? And then over here to working in a very big corporate environment with tons of competition and given a lot of responsibility in the sense that my proposals weren't just of restaurant. They weren't just of, you know, 150,000, 250,000 million dollar, $5 million Louis Vuitton building in New York. It, it, it was so much bigger than that. Um, you know, proposals that were hundreds of millions of dollars, 
billion dollar proposal, working with 80 engineers, working with, you know, many different project managers. I mean, it was under extensive deadlines um, and pulling together people to get this one thing, this one output out that might have been 3,000 pages. It might have been 18,000 pages that was delivered to the customer. And what I'll say to you is that it was like fight or flight all the time. It was constantly not taking time to rest. It was constantly not finding time to carve out for me and my Bible in the morning. It was letting people mold what my mindset was about myself instead of me being very clear and confident about what that was. And I came to this place and I just remember looking at my 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 co-work co-working team and I, I had the best in the world in that proposal group. Please understand that. And I said, I have just outgrown the seat and I need I need to do something different because I'm power pathing. My attitude isn't right. I'm losing my faith. I'm negative all the time. Um, the world is about me and my schedule and what I've got to get accomplished. And and it, it just became the cycle and routine of this isn't who I want to be as a person. This this and my job is is contributing to this only because I'm allowing it to, right? And so it all began to unravel quite a bit. And I saw that there was a master's program that was going on. And, and I didn't do it to notch myself in the belt, really the end game. I want this director role. You know, I didn't have that goal out there like I'm going to be this director or this manager by this time frame, in this many years to this department. That's not what I was doing. When I read through when I read through these courses and the development and the, the culmination project that would be due for it, I just felt like that's where I need to get it together. And I just felt like God was pulling me in a just a different sort of place, but I didn't know what it was. I kept telling everybody, I said, I think God wants to move me or shift me. Shift me. I just don't know what that is yet. And so on faith, I decided to have a daughter and a husband and a 60 plus hour week of job and get a master's degree. And as I started getting through and working through that, and I became closer in that Christian based university and environment on getting closer with the word and getting closer to what leadership looked like in the early church and what leadership looks like, you know, from from the examples that we are intended to get that model from and that mold from, it became clear to me I was doing it all wrong. And I wasn't just doing it all wrong in a little way, man. I just was, I was out of element. Right, right, right. And I started to change how I talked to people. And I started to change what questions I asked people. And when I didn't understand something, I wanted to know, why was why did that person feel that way? What what's driving you know your intention behind doing that? You know, and sometimes I would find out that just you know that that engineer had just missed all the ball games of his son for that entire season because I was beating the team up for this proposal, you know, and I learned to lead differently. And I will say to you that that's really the moment that I learned that my my journey and my purpose um, was going to be. We, we all hear the story about the 99. 
my heart really and the, and the work that I do with the purpose strategist, career path, career development, and all those things, leadership development, organizational development, is really around I want to learn more and go in for that one. Because I believe in my heart and in my mind with a thousand percent commitment that that one has so much to teach us. There's so much there to learn from that one. So I really go in to work with people that maybe others would discount. I mean, have you ever gone to work and felt like you were discounted? Somebody that that you just weren't valued, that you just didn't. And we should never value ourselves by our job, but maybe someone made you feel like what you did or what your contribution was, wasn't valuable. Or that you weren't appreciated for the extra or the above or the attention to detail that you have given. And I help those people to just reframe what they're doing and translate it differently, right? That translation to prep them for that transition. That's good. I know that is so much. I just. (laughs) That's good. That is good. That is good. But I had to do that in my own house, too. I mean, I, (laughs) you know, my relationships with my family and my in-laws and my friends. And I had to really go through there and I had to to look at those and I had to look at myself in the mirror. And I and I really had to better understand, you know, where where can I get more clear and and where can I where, where can I be better? Now, uh, I ask this of all, I'm going to shift gears a little bit. As a high performer, how well do you sleep and how much sleep do you need a night? (laughs) I'm laughing at this one. (laughs) Okay, so um, especially with the master's degree in progress with all those other things, I hardly slept at all. If I got three to four hours, that, that that was all that I would get. And I would just wake up, like I said, fight or flight. And I would just, I would move into the next thing. And especially in that global role, I will also share this with you because there are some people that are going to relate with this as well. I mean, I served five different continents at one point, mostly three, but five different continents at one point as the business ethics advisor. When I did get that promotion and I did transition, God, God did place me, did place me before I left that organization. And I was the business ethics advisor. And I had people that would call me from all over the world who had different time zones. So I I have to give credit to the fact that in order to to be there and be available as that conduit for that work, um, my schedule wasn't wasn't very typical. But now, now sleep is a priority and I make it something that I try to be better routine about. And I will will admit, you know, I've read The Miracle Morning. And I've tried to create more disciplined habits because at one point I would have told you, if you knocked on my door before 9 or 10 a.m. before Saturday, you would have gotten probably a couple of choice words that a Christian woman should never have come out of her mouth. But, but, but I have changed and I, and I have really embraced that um, the best of me is not in the time frame that I thought it would always be. So I'm doing a much better job. Now I'm probably getting anywhere from six to seven hours of sleep. And that is growth for me. That's good. That is good. That is good. Now, outside, well, let me back up. There's something you said that is that, that can you explain what a business ethics advice, uh, advi- what was the name of that title again? And can business you let us know what it is? One more Absolutely. time. I talked Absolutely. over you. All right. Absolutely. So a business ethics advisor 
is a role outside of human resources in many, many global companies in order to work across the world, especially in ISO, so the International Standard of Organization, right, ISO. So technical and military defense contractors, you know, they're very process rigorous, and uh, they also have a requirement that they must have an ethics program within their organization. And those ethics intakes, that was my job to do the intake, are to be reported not through the traditional channels directly through like maybe your location or your specific sector. It really is to go straight, straight, more straight to the top to let leaders or senior leaders or corporate ethics groups understand what the real challenges, cultural undertones, um, trends are in the organizational workplace. So I was responsible for those for those intakes. I was also responsible for training all new hires that came into the organization as part of my sector. And I have really embraced with that. I really am passionate about global cultural conflict, how to navigate through there. And I felt like at that point in time, there wasn't a really good representation going on in ethics necessarily. Not bad, but there wasn't as best as for a global company could be in the sector that I was in on some of the subjects around, you know, ethic challenges um, that I would maybe be seeing in, in a trend or that would happen around times of, you know, when people are getting their biannual reviews or annual reviews or those sorts of things. So I engage with corporate very closely in the writing of those communications to really develop those subjects um, at a higher level in the organization. I was very passionate about that work. And I have to tell you, the, the business ethics advisors in your organization is probably the only piece of the pie you can go to. And that confidential word has to be embraced. Mm. Your manager is supposed to report it up. HR is supposed to spread it into a certain path. Ethics is supposed to keep confidentiality for the people or the person that feels like, you know, they're in a situation where um, they've been wronged, retaliation, sexual harassment. Um, those sorts of subjects. Okay, now I get it. All right, so in government speak, it would be similar to our equal opportunity. Uh, we have something similar where we have the EO advisor and the, okay, all right, so it's similar roles? Absolutely. Okay, all right. Absolutely. Okay, all right. Now, uh, shifting a little bit again, I'm sorry I'm shifting all over the place. You're here, fine. But, um, <laughs> What book outside of the Bible has shaped you the most in life? Oh my gosh, I am such an avid reader. You're going to make me pick one. <laughs> <laughs> now, now, I'll definitely say the, the Bible is a go-to for me, but um, I'm not sure if I could pick just one. But I will tell you that I guess the ones I would say that I've got um, got at work so learning about what the Bible says in the vocation of work, I think really helped me to understand how I should, my priorities and how I should look at my work as its piece and in, in part in my life in a biblical context. And I think for so many, many years, I put my job, I put that career path, power path chase in front of my husband and my daughter and my health, right? 
Um, and I, I needed, I needed it to go into a better place. So one of many books, but I will tell you that it really helped to shift where things need to sit in my life. Pretty, pretty impactful. That's good. That's good. That's good. Now, becoming disciplined, we examine discipline or organization in the following areas, spirituality, mental discipline, physical discipline, emotional intelligence, financial discipline, time management, and home and data organization. Now, I told you what I think from the outside, I think is your strengths. But out of all of these, what do you think are your strongest points and which of these areas could use some work? And I'm, I'm going to be a little tougher on you than all my other guests. <laughs> what plan do you have in 2021 to work on your weak area? Absolutely. And I have eight of them. <laughs> oh. <laughs> um, first and foremost, my motherhood legacy. What my, what my children remember about me, that is what's going on. That's what's going to live on. Sure. What I give them, that's what's going to continue. Sure. So I've made it a very specific goal that for this year, it is my motherhood legacy to try to have more patience and not be as frustrated. For someone who likes things very, you know, this way, children, children don't give you that opportunity. You got to work on the fly. You know, you don't get that handbook to say, when this, do this, right? Right, 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 right. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> so my, my, my motherhood legacy is that. I also, um, I am extremely um, passionate about representing voices that um, that sometimes get buried or not heard. And I feel like, I feel strongly that in the, in the media or in political parties or even in religious settings, it's like, pick your place. I don't care, wherever it is. There is, there's just a message and it sometimes it's just one message. And I'm really trying to embrace helping people to see that sometimes there's another message. It's not just the one. It fits with what you think your values are immediately, right? We tend to embrace what feels close to us in our worldviews and how we view things. And then we go into the mindset of this is just the way it should be because that's what I know about it. And I'm I'm really passionate about being a person in the life of whoever I'm in the audience of, of understanding that it's not always that way. In someone's perspective, just listen to what it is. You might relate to it in a way you never thought that you would. You never thought that might be the exception to the rule. And I think that there needs to be more empathy and understanding. And a word you heard me say a lot in the early part of my life is story. People have to really connect to your story. When people connect to your story, I don't care if it's your marketing, if it's your business, if it's your coworkers, if it's the teams that you lead or you manage, if you are just a genuine and authentic person to, to listening to the story that people have to share with you, I think that that's where the real growth happens. That's good. That's good. Now, now, as you were talking, it just made me think. Um, and I don't want to. I don't want to be. I hope this doesn't come off to our folks at Caroline as anything negative. And if if you don't like this question, I can edit it out. Trust me, it's not not a problem. <laughs> but you know, uh, we're from, we're both. I'm not from Caroline, but we're both from down south, and especially sometimes even in the Christian community. Uh, things can be kind of regimented on what you're supposed to think. 
Yeah. And, um, you know, party lines can be drawn, I guess yes. you could say. Yes. And Miss Lisa, how um, you seem you seem you seem to be a little bit of an abstraction, you know, because, you know, uh, I'm not, and I'm not trying to overgeneralize, but some would say. Like with your background, you shouldn't be open minded, you know, what I'm saying like like like, but I noticed since I've met you a great deal, you know, you've been very, very open minded and very open to other cultures and other perspectives and other viewpoints. Um, what what made you like that? And what was it a life event or was it the the reverend at the Antioch Church or <laughs> what what was it that made you like that? I'm gonna I'm gonna answer that multifaceted. But I think one is that I had the opportunity to travel in college. So that dear Miss Kenya Davis Hayes that I shared with you. When we went to Europe, you know, we got to see different parts of the world. Um, we went into Morocco. I've been into a Muslim Muslim country. Uh, I can tell you that um, I also um, I also will share with you that that research bud, right? That research bud. I will also say to you that 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 South perspective. I am. This is my red button. This is if there's a red button that I have, it is when I'm at a table and someone says, "Oh." That was a very Democrat thing for them to say, or, oh, you know, that's a very Republican thing, or, you know, you just wouldn't expect that from them. And, and, and I have moments where it takes an incredible amount of restraint for me because I deeply, deeply believe in the story of people, first of all. And second of all, I, I well, not second, this is probably the fourth of all, right? <laughs> At Regent University, I, and I'm going to take a minute to share with you the story because it, it was a big impact for me. I read Acts 6, and that is verses 1 through 7, seven verses, only seven verses in the Bible, and the choosing of the seven. Mm-hmm. And this, this, this chapter in the Bible has shaped I think my entire global organizational leadership and communications master's degree papers and culmination project, but it's been my feet in the world. And what do I mean by that? So the story starts out with, you know, the Hellenistic and Hebraic Jews, the widows are having, you know, a cultural conflict, right? One believes that they are being slighted, you know, with the other. And so here the disciples are, right? We're at the very beginning of Acts, right? And, you know, we have new leadership, the disciples, the new leadership. And they have a responsibility to go and spread the word. That's their global mission, right? And so they're stepping into a a big, big role. And, you know, one of the verses says, well, we don't, we can't wait on tables. So we see delegation. We see leadership. We see delegation. And so. Then this, then the story continues that it says to find people of wisdom in spirit, seven. And as, you know, as, as these people are chosen, who's chosen? Well, I went in to read the commentary about those names. where they come from? Some of these people were converts. They were the ethnic representation of the people that felt slighted. Mm-hmm. So biblically, we are taught 
We are taught that if someone feels slighted or if they feel misrepresented, misrepresented, that we are to make that representation equal. And to take that a step further, in, in several pieces of the commentary that I've read, several pieces of the commentary I've read, the, you know, the Hebraic Jews actually had the dominant vote to decide on the Sabbath, but mm. they passed it. Mm. They passed the vote. Mm. To, to, to the other representation, they said, if you feel slighted, then, then we, we pass our vote to you. Wow. And so what happens here, right, is we see the disciples have given delegation and they're going off to do the global mission to focus on what they need to focus on. Um, they set the standard of what they're looking for. And yet they've also implemented the behavior as Christians. When this happens in our world, what our response should actually be. Mm. And then at the very end of this, right, what, what do they say? And everyone was pleased and the word of the gospel spread. They said it spread, the, Good who God. they said it initially spread to were the priests. So we have the religious Ooh. folks, right? We got the religious folks. <laughs> the people that have the I'm market. plagiarizing from you, just so you know. Miss Lisa, I'm going to plagiarize from you. I'm going to give you credit at least the first sermon, all right? All right? I'm stealing from you. I'm sorry. I have, I have studied, studied the seven verses in this and Acts 6, 1 through 7. I have studied this story. I have used it in probably 80 or 90% of my papers and even in my final culmination project for my master's degree because this is what it is supposed to look like. Mm. When we talk about organizational leadership, leadership, I think the last time I looked is there over a million books on Amazon. Um, the well is endless, right? And my opinions are endless. Well, go look at seven verses in the Bible. Mm. You mean to tell me that where Christianity is in our world from, from then to now, and we've been able to spread across continents and we've been able to spread across, you know, the globe. And what we're talking about is that this is where it started and this is how it started. Mm -hmm. So I have carried and embraced this with, um, with a lot. This one means a lot to me because to me, this is what God is telling us to do. Amen. 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 Now, uh, wow, that's powerful. That's powerful. I'm going to be, I'm probably going to be calling people about that one. And don't get me wrong. I'm going to credit you every time. Matter of fact, after I, after I put my sermon together, I might send it to you, you know, for you to touch it up a little bit. <laughs> goodness gracious. That's good. That is good. That is so good. So Miss Lisa, you have done a wonderful job telling us of how you got here, of how the purpose strategist was born. Now, we would like to know more about the purpose strategist. We would like to know what services you provide. And we'd also like to know how we can find you. Absolutely. So I, the, the purpose strategist provides talent solutions for professionals and organizations that are challenging traditional career narratives and outdated processes. So I work twofold. I work with the professionals and I work with organizations. So from the organization side, 
many businesses, many entrepreneurs that are opening their business, they don't know what quite to put into those subjects or those things that they need to be um, need to be putting and placing attention and creating that onboarding and that framework. And so I help them to design that based on their values and their missions. That's what I do from the business side. On the professional side, I help people who sort of like I shared a little bit before that one, right? That person who doesn't feel like they, you know, are getting the message that they're being valued or that they are appreciated or they've been underpaid and doing really a whole heck of a lot. And there are some people that are just at that gender disparity gap and and they got to close it. Or there are people that want to get that promotion and they really don't know what to do next. They feel like they've tried these 10 things. It's just not working. What do they do next? And so I help people, whether it's in the resume or the networking spectrum, I do help with the branding piece, but mostly, mostly there. I network with about 150 recruiters a week across five different industries. For me, I say that because I don't come to you (laughs) with that experience that she was the senior, you know, HR director of X corporation. No, no. The people that have the information are the people that are on the ground doing the work. And, and I work with the people that are seeing those trends and know what their organizations are looking for, what they're seeing that's that's good. What does good look like, right? Mm-hmm. And then what are the challenges? And I help to take that information and pull it into the job market data. And uh, and I and I use that to help people get to the next the next place that they want to be. Okay, okay. Now before we close out, I have two house housekeeping notes that we missed earlier in the podcast. Uh, what was the just so that people can reminisce and and I know people will be wondering in the comments block uh, in Caroline what was the name of the restaurant that you all opened? I had the Tavern of Port Royal. The Tavern of Port Royal. Okay, alrighty, alrighty. And uh, the second question is uh, well, just just a comment. Uh, we, we we began to talk about the revitalization of Bowling Green, and I don't know if you know her, but I just wanted to give. Uh, a shout out to a person I've, I personally uh, hold accountable for the revitalization of Bowling Green. I want to give another marketer. I want to give uh, some credit and some honor to Joelsa Jordan. I don't know if you've uh, Absolutely. Have you ever, have you ever run into her? Yes, I have. And uh, <laughs> we, we actually, I just sent her a message a couple of days ago. Um, I would agree with you. You know, she brought a very renewed approach into the festivals, into the parades, into, you know, and she was really deep. I mean, I know she's spoken, I believe, in front of like some national associations affiliate. I believe, I hope I'm not saying it wrong to Chamber of Commerce. So absolutely, I would agree. She is a gem. So um, I tell you what, Bowling Green better get it together because she's going to be easily picked up from the career strategist point of view. (laughs) That's right. That's right. That's right. Well, Miss Lisa, the Purpose Strategist, we can't thank you enough for coming on. You didn't have to do this. You didn't need to do this. We truly appreciate you. You have the last word. Our audience is typically people from 30 to 55 years old. I call them the Get Better Club. Do you have any closing thoughts for our audience? I definitely do. Don't settle for no. Don't settle for no. And always know that what you're doing right now no matter what that is, is you're not stuck. You're not stuck. It's really about putting your foot out there and having the faith to know that change change will change will bring 
bring wonders if you if you believe in yourself enough to move forward with that. And that purpose is not an end goal. Purpose is a journey. And what you do today, 18 months later, you may be doing something different. And as you saw in my background, it was so varied, right? It, it culminated so many different points. Um, but I, I wouldn't trade a minute of that. I wouldn't trade, trade a minute of that. And I, and I didn't answer one piece of your last question. So you'll find me on Facebook at The Purpose Strategist. You will find me on LinkedIn at Lisa Wood Roof, and that's W-O-D-R-R-O-O-F, roof like on the top of the building. <laughs> I'm on Clubhouse with the same, my name, Lisa Wood Roof, and then I'm also on Instagram at the underscore purpose strategist. Uh, you guys can um, can find my information. I, I feel like I give away. I give away the kitchen and the kitchen sink. Um, I don't harbor all of that information that I have. I'm, I am about sharing it and I'm about letting people know that there are people out there that are, that are in their corner to help them, help them with those transitions. I can vouch for our audience. Miss, uh, Miss Lisa, the purpose strategist helped the uh, becoming discipline become what it is today. And we thank you for all of your expertise that you uh, have given to us. And, it, you know, I truly was blessed by the time that Lisa provided to us. So I strongly encourage you all. I'm going to have all of uh, Lisa's contact information. I'm hoping that all of you all will check her out. Uh, thank you so much, Lisa. We just can't thank you enough. We appreciate you. And you are truly a gift, not just to Caroline County. It's your gift to the world. Thank you. Well, this podcast is a gift and getting the invitation to be here was a gift. So please know that is fully reciprocated. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. We just want to thank the Purpose Strategist for coming on. I will personally vouch for her and tell you that she gave this podcast some incredible advice. We could not encourage you more to give her a call. She's the clearest thinker in the game. Please check her out.